I'm excited to, uh, to be here with you guys. I guess there's some kind of big game on today. I wouldn't know anything about it. But if you're here, you must, uh, that's pretty cool. You must really care. And uh, yeah, amen. So we're going to go ahead and dive in today. So last week, the snow prevented us uh, from having service. You guys wouldn't have been able to be here. I would have had it, but you could not have pulled into the parking lot. It was not even open until pretty much right as uh, service, right before service would have started. Uh, so but the week before that, we had just finished a series called Redefine, in which we redefine sort of the words, a lot of words that we use in Christianity and what, what it means in our faith, what they really mean, getting back to the root of it. And today, you know, still beginning of the new year, really, and um, we're getting ready to start our next series. But before we did that, I thought it was important to lay some groundwork and talk about something that is so important to your walk. If you're a Christian in this room... Actually, even if you're not, um, both sides. But if you're Christian in this room especially, if you, if you tuned in last week to the little message we tried to put out, I, I mentioned that I think one of the biggest things hindering us is fear. Right? Fear hinders us in our life. I've been struck the last couple of weeks. I'm pretty tough, I like to think. Some of you don't need to laugh. I, I think that. But the truth is, apparently I'm a pretty fearful guy because I make a lot of decisions based out of fear. And I think a lot of you do too. And the reality is, is that, um, well, let me, let me read a verse, and we'll get into that. If, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me. It's a big section. It's a big section. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. By the way, one of my favorite chapters in the entire book of the Bible is Romans chapter 8. I'll be reading from the HCSB. If you don't know what that means, good, it doesn't really matter. So here we go. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to the death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers... Things present or things to come, hostile powers, hide or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oof. I know that's long. I hope you paid attention. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, you believe that? Raise your hand. The rest of you don't. That's okay. Good. We'll talk to you too. And the rest of you are lazy and i got a problem with you. Raise your hand again if you believe that. If you say you believe it. Okay. Good. Some of you might be being honest. Do you really believe it? Now, you say you do. You say you do. But you know what I've learned? Is a couple of things. I, I've learned that though we might say the world can't separate us from God, and though we might say uh, people can't separate us from God, and though we might say situations can't separate us from God, many, many times, do you know who we think can separate us from the love of God? Us, yourself. You do. And we definitely put it on other people. And this is how I'm going to, here's how I'm going to tell you. What is a Christian not capable of? You don't have to answer this. 
But I want you to think about it. What's a Christian not capable of? The answer is they're capable of anything. Because they're human. The Bible tells us that as believers, Paul himself, right, we, they call him a saint, an apostle Paul. He said, I want to do good, but I have this thing inside of me that doesn't want to do good. And so do all of you. Jesus goes farther to say, you know, you may go, you know what, Todd, I don't give in to lust. And Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman once with lust or man, you have already committed adultery in your mind. That's not to, to make you depressed. That is to get you to understand that no one is without fault. He goes on to say, oh, you're great. I've never murdered anyone, right? That's you. That's you. I've never, I hope. That, I've never murdered anyone, but the reality is Jesus said, if you've ever hated your brother, you've already committed murder. It might as well have happened. Now, we know certainly in the human world there's a difference there. But to a perfect God. And yet, most of us will say, that's okay, God forgives us. But what's your thing he doesn't forgive? You have it. I used to have this thing that for the majority of my Christian walk, I would have never said it, but I believe that it was the unforgivable sin. And it's because it was done to my family. And because it was done to my family and I saw the brokenness and pain that it caused, I said, it's impossible. This is one thing that a believer won't do, right, until you're there. Until you see a believer do it. So many times when we, when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, it's so very easy to believe that that does separate us from the love of God. And what's interesting about it is in church today, stick with me till the end before you get righteously angry, some of you. But the thing is in the church today is that we say that all sins you know, are equal and all can be forgiven, but we still have levels. We still have things that we say. We will never say they're not forgivable, but by our actions and the culture we create, they're unforgivable. I said last week that fear is one of the big hindrances to life. Do you know what leads to fear in the believer? Sin. I'm serious. Sin. When we mess up, what's the first thing we feel? Conviction. That, that'll be there. But so quickly it turns to condemnation. What is condemnation if but fear? It's fear. This is the time that it's gone too far. Fear leads to shame. And shame leads to doubt. And doubt begins to make us doubt the things we know to be true. The things you will tell anyone about the Bible and about Christ except when it applies to you. You ever have that? I will tell you all that God's grace covers everything and nothing is separate us. And yet I find in myself the struggle to believe that. Especially when the voices in the crowd tell me it's not true. So I doubt the things we know to be true. We doubt God. We doubt his promises. We begin, to, we begin to create something that's not quite as radical and freeing as we say it is. If today's message doesn't make you think, even if you're not one in the midst of a stumble, and we'll get to that. If it doesn't make you understand and really wrestle with what grace and mercy really is, then you're not listening. I mean that. 
The doubts that we get become so loud then. I don't know if you've ever been there. I bet some of you have. The doubts become so loud that we begin to believe we're no longer welcome in the Father's house. So we hide, right? Some of us hide in the church. We stay, but we're not really there, and we're constantly fearful and afraid, and and we don't want someone else to know what God already knows, which is we are sinful, and we are flawed, and he doesn't want us anymore. So it's like this weird game of make-believe where we hope no one actually sees what he sees because clearly he doesn't want me, but I can't handle it if you don't want me either. We fall deeper into the shadows, and in the shadows we turn to things to comfort us. Sometimes the very things that brought us there. Well, I've already fallen. What's the point? I need something to give me comfort, distraction. That's all it is. It's not really comfort, is it, if you've been there? It's distraction. And we find when we come out of the distraction, we're more deep than we were when we left, than when we started. We turn to other things because we believe God no, more, no longer cares, and for some, people actually walk away. Some people actually walk away, but here's the crazy part. A true believer, I believe, can never lose his salvation, which means what? The Holy Spirit is constantly there, right? And if that's the case, listen to me. They are tortured because on the one hand, they cannot deny that God exists. They can't be like the world that says there is no God because they've experienced the living God. And yet they sit outside of his home and they have to pretend that he doesn't reel. And sometimes they get mad at him, but that still at night they know that, that voice is still there. They can't get away from it, but they can't go back to him because he doesn't want him anymore and his people don't want him anymore. Why? Ah, he's real, but he doesn't want me anymore. He can't use me anymore. I am broken. I am done. I am finished. If you haven't been there, you know people that are. How far is too far? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I bet you have. Is it the fifth time, the sixth time, the seventh time, the eighth time you've done the same thing? Men? Women too? How many times on that computer? Hmm? That's what you ask yourself, isn't it? How many times? So then you start to numb yourself and pretend it's, well, I know it's bad, but I'm going to ignore it. All the while, it's still killing you. And then you start wrestling. He, doesn't, he can't forgive me anymore. This has been the 20th time. What's the limit? How many times will he forgive me? Will he forgive me for the same thing over and over and over again? Because guess what? You won't forgive me for the same thing over and over again. So certainly God can't. You won't. Too many times we're like uh, Peter, right? How many times do I have to forgive? We want to put a number on it. Some of you counted it out. You probably know 70 times 7, so you keep a tally, right? I got 200 more to go. Clearly I haven't done the math. Missing the point. Some of you sit in this room and you go, oh, here we go again, Grace. No, you're missing it. You're missing it. I'm going to explain to you how every single one of you in this room, all of you, I don't say that often, every single one of you live in a, in a shadow of what this is. How many times will you forgive me? What if it's the same thing? See, we believe God's grace has limits. Don't say you don't because you do. few years ago, he'd remember, Ernie, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say what it was. You remember when we first met, I taught, Ernie and I were talking, and I said, I said to him, what if X, this guy did this? And he was honest, right? And he said to me, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could forgive him. Because you all have one of those. Here's the thing, and I, I could say this because Ernie and I are pretty close. I know him. 
he wouldn't do this specific thing. But that also tells me that he believes that for himself. That there's a thing that God, right? And he's okay. I know he is. He, he, if he's honest with him, there's a thing God won't forgive him. How many times, right? Which is why, why so many people can't do this Christian thing. I'm going to say something that's going to sound shocking if you're churched. But you need to think about it before you get mad at me. Okay? If it was ever, ever, ever dependent on your actions, then every one of us are doomed. But Todd, what about holiness? It's so odd that your mind even goes there. I didn't say a word about it. You can't have holiness without grace. It's impossible. We believe God has limits and that once we hit that limit, once we've gone too far, then he will lose patience. And with his patience gone, then guess what? He's done with us, and it's only a matter of time before it catches up with us. Our Christian walk is often compared to a journey, right? Walk with Christ. How's your walk with Christ going? The journey of our faith, right? Follow him. That implies we're going somewhere. Paul says, run the race. What happens when on this journey you fall, what happens when you stumble? What happens when we fall? Here's the thing. Not because of life circumstances. Nothing happened to you. That's a different message. But because of your own choices, your own actions, and the consequences that come from that. What happens then? Do you get mad at the person telling you? Do you get mad at God? Do you sit there in the muck? Because that's the only place you deserve to be, right? I'm just saying what you think. Because some of you do. And those that don't, eh, it's probably not the message for you. Because you need a different one. You need to understand who you are without Jesus. But I don't worry about that. Because I'm the guy that gets accused. Todd takes grace too far. Why do I make that voice? Because that's how nerdy it sounds to me when someone says that. You want to tell Jesus that when he was on the cross? How far did his death go? Because here's the thing. This isn't my notes. Guys, sin has consequences in and of itself. You know, the thing God tells you not to do, it's for your own good. Hey, don't put your finger in the light socket. Goo goo. Right, that's a baby. That's you. And you get shocked. That happens. And then we're shocked that it, no pun intended, right, that it happens. But the hard thing is, is that when that consequence happens, we tend to think it's not enough. I got to pay more. I got to pay more or I got to make them pay more. We got to make sure they really understand the consequences of their sin. I had a guy tell me that once seven years ago. He said, Todd, I got to get you to somehow understand the consequences of your sin. <laughs> he said that to me. As though my life being shattered wasn't enough. What then when we fall because of our own actions, when we stumble, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we fall? Because that's what happens. Why does it happen? I don't know. We don't feed ourselves the right things. We don't spend time in his word. We don't pray. We're not in community. We don't practice what he tells us. We think that we can get by, right? I can be in the world but not of it. But really what you're saying is I can go play with fire as long as I don't get burned. 
What then? In the midst of the muck, when we lay in the dirt, what then? See, some of you, you may not consciously think this, but that's the thing. You just pretend it never happened. But that's not any better. That's not any better. Right? That's like having a knife in your leg, and I'm like, hey, you're bleeding. And you're like, no, I'm not. Right? Just ignoring it doesn't take care of the issue. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. What then? How far is too far? How many times before you say you're done with someone else? We run and we hide and we stay on the ground. We stumble and we stay on the ground because we think because we've stumbled that the race is over. We all have a natural way to handle sin in our churches today. I didn't even know how to put this in my notes. So I did this as really as a reminder. Do you know that we have a natural way? I was talking today. This was a late addition, Tim, after our conversation. That we all have a way that we accept is how you handle sin. And it sounds good. I'm serious. It sounds good. It's what you do, right? Things that make sense when we hear about it, and we don't even blink an eye. So-and-so had to leave the church. Because they got arrested, they got drunk, they committed adultery, they stole from work. Did you hear that? Whatever the list may be. That's a shame. That's a shame. Maybe in three or four years he can be restored. She can be restored. We speak of consequences of sin as a way to justify the punishment a sinful person receives that we dish out. Todd, I just have to get to understand the consequences of your sin by punishing you more. The truth is, most of the time, the only thing that separates such a person, so-and-so that I just told you about, the one that did what? The stealing, the drunkenness, the drug addiction, the adultery, the pornography, whatever else they got caught doing. The only thing separating them from the rest of the church is that they got caught. And the rest of us live in fear. We don't get caught, don't we? Most of us. Sometimes we hide beneath self-righteousness. That's the most dangerous, dangerous way to hide. Because you begin to think that you don't. See, that's the only way I've come to realize that a true believer could ever want to see another believer punished over and over. Right? I mean, certainly we're human. That we don't want them restored is if somehow you have put yourself in the place of the Savior. It's the great masquerade if you've been at this church. It's a phrase we use all the time. They got caught. You put your mask on. As long as I don't look under it, it's all smiley, right? I see a creepy white one that smiles. Bob's fell off and it says adultery. Good thing mine doesn't fall off and say alcoholic. Right? Thief. Abuser. There's very little victory over sin in the great masquerade. Did you know that? Some of you wonder why can't, why, why, do you ever, how often do we see true victory over sin? How often in your own life is there true victory, meaning you're able to overcome a sinful habit? It's very rare. I've noticed this in church. I'm serious. We get better at managing it. But true victory over it, meaning like, whoa, I don't do that, right? Do you know why that is in my opinion? Because we'd rather pretend it doesn't happen. Because we don't want to face the consequences of telling someone. And I don't blame you from a human perspective. 
You see, as long as we, it, it, the reason we don't have it is it stays in the dark and it becomes something even uglier. Right? It grows and it just wraps itself around every part of you. We don't overcome sin. We just become good at hiding it until we can't any longer. Let me ask you a question. Truthfully, friends, if you're a believer, Christian, is this what Jesus talked about? What do we do when we stumble? What do we do when others stumble? Why do I call it stumble? Um, I heard someone say, you need to admit it's sin. Quit calling it stumbling because you're a saint. Sin does not define you. Do you understand? To me, as a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then it's inevitable that where you're going to end up, I know where you're ending up. You're a saint. You just fell. It's a stumble because in the big scheme of eternity, it's nothing that the cross hasn't already overcome. Have you ever asked yourself why that's such a radical thing to say? Why have I gotten more flack in my time in ministry over talking about grace than anything I've done. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. That's, there's a culture problem here. What do we do when others stumble? What do we do when others fall? What do we do when we fall? What do we do? What do you do? I'm going to read you some verses, and um, we'll, we'll talk about them. Gospel of John, this is Jesus himself. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He's praying to the Father. It's two verses. It's super, super powerful. I bet many of you probably glossed over it because in his prayer it kind of gets old. You're like, oh, he's praying for us. That's nice. Listen to the heart of Jesus. Gospel of John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He just holds me even when I don't hold on. It doesn't say that he holds on if I don't. No one will snatch them. Will sin snatch them? No. Will I get out of his grasp? Nope. Even if I wiggle, I'm not going anywhere. But what about, what if my church says that I'm, he's not mine anymore? Does it say that? What if the pastor, what if the book, what if the teacher, what if, what if, what if, what if my wife, what if my husband, none of it matters because there's no addendum here. There's no addition. It is what it is. No one will take them from my grasp. But what if they get dirty? What if they sin? What if they mess up? What if they fall? Did I stutter? Todd, you're getting dangerously close to telling people sin doesn't matter. No, I just believe the Holy Spirit handles that. I tell you the truth, but I can't make you holy. Do you know that? I can make you follow those set of rules, which really you're just going to get good at hiding them, but it doesn't make you holy. Isn't that crazy? Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8. It all ties together. Stick with me. You with me, Brandon? You sleepy? I'm just kidding. I just... <laughs> I can pick on you. You're not going to get offended. All right, here we go. We have redemption in him through his blood. Who's his? Yeah, just making sure it's capitalized. There's your hint. His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I have eight on here. Got distracted. We'll read that again. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The richness of his grace. 
And I love this second. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I added that later for the guys. I thought it was so important. Isn't that beautiful? He's really wise. You think he might know better than you? Well, that person doesn't deserve it. Really? And his understanding. Are you ready for something? You know Bob? Bob, the guy who messed up. He's a made-up person. If you really know a guy named Bob, don't know him. But you know Bob? He messed up. You're going to believe this. Did you know that when he was saved, Jesus knew he was going to fall? <gasps> I know, isn't that crazy? Beginning and the end, he saw it. He's not surprised. Does that make it okay? No. It makes his grace and his love even more powerful. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. This is important. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is that important? Well, first of all, anybody in this room that says they have no sin, they don't make like the action. We'll separate that in a minute. You're lying. You're a liar. Todd, that's beforehand. No, he was talking to the church in Ephesus. He was talking to believers. So somehow that part's still there, right? But here's the thing. There has to be, when we fall, you see, we'll get to that, but you, there has to be an admission that there was a fall. So you can't buy the masquerade. As long as I get up really fast, I clean up really fast, then it's okay and no one will notice. No, 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 that's, that's the other side of it. You can't do that either. You have to be willing to call a spade a spade. And then what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he will pick us up if we ask and he will wash us off and he will send us on our way. Taking all that into account, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about what to do when we stumble. What to do. I got a list for you. They got distracted. Got him again. What do we do when we stumble? I just like to mess with Zach. Number one. Ready, Isaiah? You're not going to believe this. Ready? Repent. That's the first part, right? It means to call it what it is. That's the part where there's an admission of the sin. Repent. Well, it's not repenting to ask to be saved. You're already saved. You don't have to re-beg to come in the Father's house. You're already a child. It's repenting saying, I know this is wrong. Ready? And I put it in the parentheses so that you didn't get caught up in Christianese. It means get back up and change directions. You know, like I said, a lot of times when we're following, when we take our eyes off... Right? He's walking here, and if I look over here, have you ever done that when you drive? I do. It's terrible. Whatever you look at, you drive towards, right? And then you got to, no, just me? Yeah. Anyway, I do that, and so what he's saying is sometimes I do that, and I end up in the, in the, in the thorns and the briars. That's an old word. Look it up. Thorns, and, and I'm scratched up, and you know what I need to do? If I just stand up and keep walking, I'm going to continue to get cut and hurt and get dirty and muck. No, I have to stand up. Hey, sorry, Father. Turn and follow him. I have to get back up. See, the most dangerous thing, the enemy wants you to stay down. He wants you to forget the truth. 
See, a lot of times the people that play the masquerade, they, they don't want to do that part. Because to repent means you have to admit that it happened, right? And here's the sad thing. They still live in fear. Because they've never really accepted the grace. They just pretended it never happened. Number two. Remind yourself of God's promises. I'm just getting your attention. Some of you are sleepy. This is an exciting, important thing. Remind yourself of God's promises. I call it this an anchor verse. You might have heard this before. You need to have a verse. I'm talking about not for your life. That's great that you have one. What for a moment when you're going to feel condemned. When you mess up in life, especially if it's one of the big stumbles, guys. You know, there's differences. Sometimes we fall and then, you know, a little bit, and then we take a tumble. Like driving on your bike, flip over the handlebars kind of tumble, right? Where you're cut up and dirt. That has more consequences. It needs more than a just let's go. You have to have something to anchor you to God's truth. You know what mine was? You ready for this, Josh? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is no condemnation in Christ how do I know it because I repeat it to myself every single day I used to have a piece of paper with just that verse on my truck 10 years ago I could tell you and it was every day didn't matter what the world said didn't matter about my circumstances I could look and be reminded that even when I didn't believe it I can believe God find one they're everywhere do you have one do you have one that reminds you of how far? I just gave you one. You can use it. It's not mine. Second verse after, it's beautiful too. Paraphrase, you ready? Because the Holy Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm free. Remind yourself of God's promises. Number three. Am I, are you guys with me? Did I lose you? You thinking about that big game? Ain't no point. It'll still be there. We'll have to hear about it for the next week anyway. Number three. Let others, this is so, so important. Those of you in this room, some of you get mad at me. This is that big C word you don't like, community. You don't like it. You hate it. It's because you're lazy a little bit, and you don't want to trust. Some of you are lazy, and you don't want to be community to others, and some of you just are afraid because you've been burned so many times. Right? You don't believe, oh, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm real deep community, they might see under that mask. Right? That's where freedom is. Let others help carry your burdens. Galatians 6.1. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. 6.2, I think. You have to have people around you. I'm not saying everyone. That's silly. Not everyone is mature enough to handle certain things. But you have to have people in your life that you can share those things with. That, that, will, that will tell you God's truth. Not just anybody, but someone who will remind you. Because most of the time, guys, when we mess up, we already know it's bad, right? Have you ever noticed that? You go and you confess. I, I can't tell you how many times. You go and you confess something. If you've got, by the way, the very act of confession is one of the most courageous things I've ever heard. And you go and confess, and the first thing you do is say, well, you know what you did was sinful. Duh. I just told you. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Right? But we got to a pastor, he means well, but he wants to make sure in case you didn't, you know, the fact you were crying didn't remind you that it's a sin. Let's get past that. You have to have people that are willing to tell you that after the sin. That your identity is not rooted in your perfection. It's not rooted in um, your cleanliness in the sense of you didn't stumble, but it's rooted in Christ. And if nothing else, it should strengthen your faith because how good a God he is. Because people do terrible things. I'm not minimizing sin. 
right? When people, to this day, when people sin against me and hurt me, it hurts. And one of the things I tell people, you know, for some reason people think forgiveness and grace means pretending it didn't happen. That's not forgiveness or grace. That's insanity. Grace is the acknowledgement that it happened and offering grace anyway. Right? That's what God does to us. Because a lot of times if you're like me, you're like, you can catch yourself sort of minimizing when you're praying even, right? Well, i got to make sure, you know, I only took one cookie, God. I only took one, right? You took four, but you're going to stick with one. The fact is, even if it's one, that's enough. When he just wants you to say, hey, I love you anyway. I'm not mad at you. Because if you don't do that, you're going to end up thinking, well, if he finds out I had two, right? You see what I'm saying? The Bible is filled with people. You're going to, it doesn't matter, in this room what you've done, you're going to find someone in the Bible that did something worse than you. Isn't that crazy? So many people that we call saints would be kicked out of our churches today. Bottom line. There ain't no King David in the church. I'm going to tell you right now. King David, even if he escaped jail, right, he is not in the church. Um, because the board said that he just has to get out of here. He's got to learn. Then we wouldn't have any psalms, right? Well, he, all he did was write a letter saying he was sorry. Come on. Why do I do that voice? Because that's how ridiculous it sounds to me. I've heard that people don't like that voice. That's why I keep doing it lately. Oh, Darlene. Anyway, help Brother Carrie Burns, right? This is it. This is the most important one. Because sometimes this is all you can do. Number four, keep walking. You keep walking. You keep following him. You don't listen to the voice in your head that tells you not. You don't listen to the person next to you. you if they're telling you not to follow him, that it's over, you shut. You put earmuffs on. First of all, I'll tell you, put your earmuffs on, right? And you follow him. Well, I don't see a way out. It doesn't matter. He'll lead you out. He will lead you out. God will never leave you in the muck. God will never leave you in the brokenness, and God will never just leave you in the agony. He won't. I don't know how long it'll be, but he's coming. He will lead you out. You have to follow him. So I'm going to skip to the second part. I'm going to go fast. We were behind. Sorry. Number, this is important. So those of you that need to know that, but some of you need to know this. So we know what do we do when we stumble? What do we do when others stumble? Oh, that's important. There's only two of these. You like that? I like to keep it short and sweet, Nate. That's what I do. Number one, I'm not shaming you if I say your name. It means I like you. Number one, leave the judge's seat to God. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you let God be God? Just try it out. You're not very good at it. Right? Let God be God. Well, what if they're not going to know the consequences? Can you imagine saying that to God? You walk in the throne and you can't see. There's angels flying around. You're like, hey, I just want to tell you, I don't think Bob has really understood how bad he is. I think you should let me handle this. He's spinning the sun on his finger like a basketball. You know what I mean? Like, that's how ridiculous it is. Quit it. Yes, there are times, you know, when you're in leadership, you've got you've to handle things. You've got to walk through things. And we've done it here. It's been done to me. You've got to figure out how to do things and how to what, though. It's not to punish. It's to help. It's to help. The goal, I'm going to say that in a minute. There is a goal. God always has a goal, and you're going to be shocked. You ready? The goal is never punishment. <laughs> it's not. Um, Todd, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. We have a misunderstanding of that word. One of the things I do to tell people nowadays, 
Because really, I don't know why we use the word discipline. Because it used to confuse me for the longest time, right? It's just punishment again. You're just using a fancy word for it. I use it more as like, why do we always think that has to do with pain? I watch Brandon Payton, right? I watch them discipline their son. He's a little wild man now. And guess what? They don't always hit him. Sometimes it's picking him up and sitting him over here. Did you know that? And sometimes that's all it is over and over. I've watched it. He's running over trying to grab something. Nope. Nope. Right? Because he just runs right back if you've seen him. Right? It just happened today. I heard Payton go, they can hear you. And he's screaming. She's like, move him over here. That's all it is. Why? So he can learn. Number two, this is the one you can do. Be grace. What do you, that's weird. No, be the embodiment of grace. And who's the embodiment of grace? Jesus. Be Jesus. If you were Jesus in that moment to that person, what would the story look like? That'll blow your mind. Bob, I always bring up adultery because we just have that thing with sexual things, right? They, they hurt people. Bob, and Jesus walks on the scene. What does he do? Get out of my temple. No, he doesn't do that. We know what he does, right? We get an example of that. Where are those who condemn you? That's what he says to the woman. They're gone, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Go, it was a good reminder, and sin no more. (laughs) Because, by the way, this wasn't good. You don't want to be here again. Be Jesus Stop worrying about being a policeman. The thing you have to remember, guys, take one thing from this, for both yourself and for other people. She's going to come play some music. Quickly. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to run. I just meant general. This is the one thing, because then she trips. I look like a jerk. This is the thing, both with yourself. Guys, if if you let your heart accept this, it will free you. God can never love you more than he does right now. What does that mean? Well, for some of you, you're in the muck. And you think that means, no. You know, in my biggest, the moment of light bulb in my mind is in the midst of my biggest sins. The time when my life was broken. When I remembered that God loved me no less in that moment than he did the day I gave my life to him. That he still called me son. That he still called me co-heir. Woo! Did you know that? Did you know your royalty? That's a beautiful thing. And here it is. It's around this and for others. Restoration is always God's goal. It is. God's goal is always restoration. What do you mean, Todd? It is restoring you to what you were. This life is about becoming what we were meant to be had sin never entered the world. Restoration is always the goal. The goal is to not give you less. The goal is not to say you could have had that had you not messed up. Sometimes there are consequences that we can't handle, right? If you break the law, you might go to jail. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But your eternal identity, who you are, is already secured. It's always about restoring you. It's always about picking the pieces back up. You know, when I was a kid, I don't... I should, you know, being a pastor sometimes is tough because I want to tell you guys things happen in my life, but I also love my family, right? But they're broke. We're all broken. I don't know if they're watching or not, but I remember, you know, growing up, my parents were under a lot of stress, okay? Three kids by the age of 21. Isn't that nuts? All under the age of five, four. I used to be, I was the oldest, and I would always be scared 
like, because they were, they were stressed, you know, you can be kind of bitey. Parents, you know, this isn't to condemn you, but you can be kind of bitey sometimes. And I, would, I remember one time spilling the, the Hawaiian punch. Okay, it was at dinner. I know, I know. Fine China, we didn't have any of that. Anyway, I spilled it, and I got, you know, I got in trouble. And I'm sure, you know, if, if my dad was watching today, he, you know, he, he's a different guy. Amazing, amazing testimony and miracle. But he, he got mad at me, and I live my life in that a lot of times. Thinking that, you know, in life, every time I spill the Hawaiian punch, that I'm about to get yelled at, and I'm about to get put in the corner, and I'm about to get, I'm not, you know, I got to get away from the table. I'm not allowed to sit at the table anymore. I can't have the big boy cup. All those things. Years, years later, I saw a mom. This was within the last seven years. Kid literally spilled milk. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I got anxious. As an adult man waiting for what's about to happen. And you know what happened? He looked up and she just sat down and cleaned the milk up. Put the lid back on. Poured him another glass of milk. Put the lid back on. And he went on his way. It's okay. We'll clean it up. That's the father. That's the father. That's grace. It's cleaning up the milk and pouring you another glass always another glass I don't listen guys I don't know where you're at today before I go to that restoration is always the goal for that person too you can either be the person that yells about the Hawaiian punch or you can be the person that helps clean up the milk have you stumbled right now you know what's crazy I'm not even going to tell you to do the crazy thing you're afraid I'm going to tell you I'm not telling you to even confess to anyone right now that thing you've been hiding not to any person anyway, but have you stumbled? Do you always live in fear of the next stumble being the one that's too far? Have you been hiding and running and sitting alone in fear and anxiety and shame? I do. What does Jesus say in the middle of that situation? I just told you. Let's clean it up. What does the Bible say? to clean it up. He wants to pour you another glass. It's gone. The Bible says, I will remember your sins no more. So why do you remember them? Maybe you know someone in your life who stumbled. Maybe they stumbled into you and hurt you. That's the hard one, isn't it? And I'm not saying you got to walk with them right now. But you certainly don't want to keep them there. Maybe so known someone in your life who stumbled. You've seen the destruction of their choices, and you know that they're alone right now. I wonder how Bob's doing. I haven't seen him in a while. He was kicked out of the church six months ago. He was, they never say he was kicked out, though, right? That's not what they say. He left us for a time. Maybe you're the only person who can remind him of just how far God's grace goes. Maybe they need you to remind them of who Jesus is and how much he still loves them and that he just wants to clean the milk up. I don't know where you're at, which side of the spectrum you're on, but this time is called altar time because this is the altar. The living God is here. The Bible says that. Jesus is here. Yeah, that's cool. No, he's here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, one, two, three, there I am also. He's here. 
And this is your opportunity to talk to him. To tell him what you've been hiding. Not to be shamed, but to be restored. I promise you this, guys. I can't promise you that the world's not going to try to condemn you. And I can't promise you that there aren't consequences to the thing you do. But I can promise you that you don't have to live in the fear and the anxiety and the shame of the stumble. Today can be the day that he cleans it up and it's gone. I will remember your sins no more. No one will ever snatch you out of my hand. He said that. Not even you. Or maybe you need to ask for forgiveness because the truth is you have kept someone else down when they stumbled. Maybe you've lived in self-righteousness for so long. Eventually your self-righteousness will fail. Whatever you do today, take this time, make it count. Don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.